into the party wagon and hold on to your pizza. Hi everyone, on this episode of Epic Tales from the Sewers, we're going to be covering the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from the IDW series, issues number 13 and 14. Story by Kevin Eastman and Tom Walls, script by Tom Walls, art by Andy Kuhn, colors by Rhonda Patterson, and letters by Sean Lee. In this one, the story so far, after a climactic battle with the Foot Clan, Splinter and the Turtles realize their ancient enemy, Orokosaki, the Shredder, has returned and the importance of the mutual discovery is not lost on the Shredder either. Meanwhile, the Krang has abducted Baxter Stockman for unknown reasons. We start out in the second time around shop, where the Turtles are playing a rousing game of Twister. Mikey and Raph are playing while Leo looks on after having just exercised. He's got a towel over him, and Donnie is uh, doing some sort of game that looks like he found on the sign. Please, Donnie, you gotta help. He's killing me. I really wish I could, Raph. But in for a penny, in for a pound. I told you not to play with Mikey, but do you listen? No. So, right foot to triangle. Where, uh, where'd you find this stupid game anyways, Mike? Stupid? Bro, this is a classic. I found it hiding under one of the store's shelves. Huh, man, looks painful. Though the Tai Chi I did was just killer, says Leonardo. Hey, it's like, it's like Tai Chi on roids, dude. More like torture. Ugh, I think my spleen just exploded says Raph. All of a sudden, foomph, they both fall down. Mikey falls down on top of Raph, and just papers go everywhere. Dude, that was sick! Best two out of three? What are you talking about? How the heck can you tell who even won? Oh, uh, I'd say we were the real winners, huh, Leo? <laughs> you know it. We weren't kidding, Mikey. That was definitely classic. Hardy ha ha, Mr. Tai Chi. It ain't like standing around and doing dumb one-laid crane is any better. Master Splinter would probably disagree. Huh. Speaking of Splinter, what's gotten into him lately? The three turtles look at their master, who is in a lotus position, sitting and just doing some meditation. Seems that it's been intense ever since he's met the Shredder. Leonardo says, He's been like that ever since the whole thing with the Shredder in the foot. It's gotta be something to do with that. Yeah, but he kicked their butts, right? No, we escaped with our butts. Big difference, Mikey. We might have had Shredder down, but he was definitely not out. I tried to cheer Sensei up by inviting him to play the game with us, but he kind of bit my head off when I asked. Don't take it personal, little bro. He's just got a lot in his mind now that he knows Oroko Saki's back in the picture. We all do. Leo tries to get Michelangelo back into spirits and bring him back, back up to his regular cheerful self. I guess I'm just happy we got our father back, okay? Even though he's grumpy. I'm kind of worried that we weren't going to find him. You need to know to give him some space, Mike. This thing with the foot, it's not over by a long shot. Shredder's not going to stand by now that he knows that who we are, and we've got to be ready for anything. I know, Leo, and I get what you're saying, but we don't got to stress about it all the time, do we? Well, the way I see it is if we want to survive, it's better to stress too much than not enough. But you know what? You don't have to worry about that right now you do need to worry about is me kicking your butt in this game. Are you ready? Really? Bring it on, big bro. <laughs> and I thought that we were smart. you were the smart one of the bunch, Leo. Uh, second smartest. Whatever, Donnie. We show uh, Splinter has awakened. His eyes are open. Old dangers, old wars have become new. And while my sons play, while they enjoy these few peaceful moments, as only children can, I find myself struggling under a weight I thought lifted from my troubled shoulders a lifetime ago. They are not ready for what is to come. 
I know this just as I know it falls on me to prepare them for the long conflict that lies ahead, and for the grim realities that exist within all wars. But I am myself ready, but ready to lead them down a path where right and wrong so often become indistinguishable. The only certainty is this is to openly defy the Shredder, is to court death. And it is inevitable that he will move against us, striking from the shadows when we least expect it. I cannot foresee what danger is coming next. Splinter pours himself some tea as the door opens with a wham, as Casey slams face down on the ground with a flump. He looks like hell. Whoa! Casey! What happened? Uh, my dad, he didn't like my uh, smart mouth. It's fine. The turtles race over to, to pick up Casey to try to get him up off the floor, but he's clearly beaten to just a pulp. They say, a uh, little note here, CTMNT Casey Jones Micro Series number six. That piece of garbage, says Raph as he just runs out before anyone can do anything. Splinter drops his tea as he sees Raphael. I'm gonna tear him apart! Leonardo, you and your brothers remain here. Attend to Casey Jones. I will return with Raphael. Do not follow me. Yes, Sensei, says Leo. April comes in with some donuts. Surprise! I come bearing gift, glazed and, and jelly-filled. Please forgive my rudeness, Miss O'Neill, but I must depart immediately. I am... Um, okay. Jeez, where's the fire? And she looks on to see Casey on the ground with the rest of the turtles. Oh my god, Casey. Your poor face. Next, we show Karai, who is fighting at least five ninjas together, and she takes one out with a with a open palm strength straight to his face, the other out with a kick to the midsection. She's bearing two swords herself. She's fighting against one with a spear and one with size. She jumps over a spear strike, then knocks the spear down with both of her swords in a downward strike. Then, with a slash upwards, she takes out him, slashing him in the chest. The sword and Sai one look at her as she disarms both of them. Then, with a backwards flip over the sword one as he lunges at her, she takes him out by bringing the pommels of both swords down on the back of his head and then striking him in the spine with the same pommel. You could say that she handily defeated all of them. She waits and she looks around. There's no more attackers. And then she gives a bow to her master, who says, Again. Excuse me, says Karai. Did I whisper, granddaughter? Did you not hear my command? Shall I repeat? Again. His eyes bulge. The shredder looks absolutely furious. Karai is in a place to explain herself. But this is the third group of attackers I have defeated today, master. Have I not proven I am ready? No. This is the third time you have disappointed me today. The only thing you have proven is that you are too clumsy, too slow, too weak, and wholly unprepared to lead in my, as my second-in-command. Respectfully, Grandfather, I disagree. The foot was mine to lead, and I led them well from the pathetic benefactor Quagmire my father dragged the clan down back into the deadly warrior army it always was meant to be. From the very start of this war, I have stood at its forefront, ensuring we have ready access to the resources necessary to enhance our army, while always protecting our secrecy of our operations. I have commanded our troops against all of those who would dare oppose us. It shows her in a office building, just slaughtering what looks like uh, executives and such. From our enemies in the lowest dens of ill repute to the highest political office. So it shows that she is on the rooftop with an arrow sticking out of what looks like a, a politician's back, and everyone's looking to see where it came from. None have been safe. I did this 
just as I who brought you back from the dead, grandfather. Without me, you would not even be standing here today, judging me. It was a decision I made for the benefit of the clan, as a true leader should. I am ready. Shredder doesn't care for her posturing. Karai, it is only because you are flesh of my flesh that I do not strike you down here and now. You say you are ready, impetuous girl? Then gather those around you. Lead them against me now and prove your readiness. He looks on at three ninjas. You, you and you, with me. Karai leads all the rest against Shredder, who jumps in to attack. Attack! He says, clumsy, slow, weak as in mere seconds he takes out all the people around her, then has Karai on the ground. Oof! He puts his foot on her chest. You are not ready. Despite your insolence, you are a capable warrior, Karai, and a ninja of the highest order. On that, we agree. As he reaches over onto a side table next to his throne to pick up a shuriken to take a look at it. But you no longer lead the Foot Clan, and contrary to your earlier declaration, you never truly have. You are a soldier, not a leader, and it is folly for you to believe otherwise. However, do lead, as the time has come for me to find a more suitable second-in-command. Back at the second time around shop, we see April trying to comfort Casey with his busted-up face. Here you go. This ice should help a little bit. It would be nice if you could come visit just one time without someone being beaten to a pulp. Thanks, April. It's so embarrassing. Well, it shouldn't be. Not when you're with your friends. And yeah, as your friend, Casey, I'm suggesting you start wearing your hockey mask wherever you go home. <laughs> yeah, I'll try to remember that next time, Mikey. Maybe a football helmet, too. Uh, might not be a next time if Father doesn't stop Raph from killing your dad. Sensei will take care of Raph. Don't worry about it. You didn't think this was important enough to share with me, says April. It's not the kind of stuff you talk about over coffee and donuts, you know. Hi, I'm Casey, I play hockey, and sometimes my dad wallops me when he's blitzed. It's, uh, kind of private. Well, I told you about my dad's stroke, and that's private. I thought we were closer than that, Casey. No, no, you're right. I, you're right, April. I, I should have told you before. I was wrong. Yes, you were. You sure you don't need a doctor, man? Nah, I'm cool, Leo. Thanks. Uh, I could use some aspirin if you got him. We see, in another part of town, we see eyes awaken onto hands. Looks like the hands of Baxter Stockman. I've had hangovers before, but this is unprecedented. My stomach's spinning like a blasted centrifuge. And my head, guh, my fortune for an aspirin. What the hell did Krang do to me? As he looks as he wakes up in some sort of lab, he's on a bed, in his full suit. And the last thing he remembers was being with Krang before he was uh, taken. Where in the blazes am I? And what is this? He looks and the door opens right away, into a hallway of other doors. Everything looks very sterile and metallic. He looks down the way and he sees three rock soldiers coming. What's up? Sergeant Granitor wants us to fall into formation ASAP. Another, probably another surprise inspection. Whatever. We need to beat feet or all, we're all going to be on latrine duty for the next month. I for being late. Baxter goes back into his room quick and the door closes with a click. Let's see what's behind door number two, shall we? Hmm. Now this is interesting, says Baxter, as he looks, and he seems to be in a room full of brains that are in these jars. Very interesting indeed. We know as readers and as watchers of the cartoon, these are the bodies of Utram that uh, are sitting in these, but we haven't got there quite yet in the comic. As we see, Krang is in there too, and he says, Welcome to Birdhow Island, Stockman. Who? I see you've already met my family. 
Krang? General Krang has not yet exposed his shirt to show that he is indeed a Krang. He surprises him. Yes, and as you can see, we have much to discuss. He then opens up his shirt to see that this was an android body with Krang sitting up in the top part of his chest. Stockman is, of course, surprised. Not as surprised as the next character, who is sitting and watching TV in his living room and is unaware until a green turtle busts through the door. Faking TV ain't got nothing good on it. Ah! Raph busts in. Where are you, you scumbag? You're going down for good tonight, chump. And he jumps up. Yeah, we'll see, punk. I remember your ugly mug. He smashes the beer bottle in his hand, so he's got a shank weapon, ready to take on Raph with his side drawn. And I keep looking forward to this. He goes to slice Raph ducks underneath and hits him with a counterpunch left, knocking him down, and he uh, comes up with a knee to the midsection, knocking him down on the ground. He then stands over his body. I told you, chump, this ends now. As he raises the side to stab into Casey's father. Raphael, no! says Splinter. Splinter reaches over and uses a pressure point technique to take out the sigh from Raph's hand. Yeah! He now holds the sigh. Master Splinter, you fight with too much rage, my son. He does something that's incredibly unexpected. He grabs Casey's dad by the hair and then pulls his head back and puts the sigh up to his neck as if he would slit his throat. Let me show you the true way of the ninja. It says to be continued on the bottom. And the last scene that we see is Splinter holding up Casey's father with a sigh to his throat. That's the end of issue 13. Issue 14. Story by Kevin Eastman and Tom Walls. Script by Tom Walls. Art by Andy Kuhn. Colors by Rhonda Patterson. Letters by Sean Lee. We pick up as just where we left off. Casey's father with a sigh to his throat at, as uh, Splinter and Raph have a conversation. Is this the solution you seek? You would have me execute this man, my son. Would that make you happy? Raph looks with his mouth agape. As Splinter stands there with Casey, his best friend's father, with a sigh to his throat, ready to slit it at his own command. But please don't! Be silent. I am not talking to you. Well, Raphael, no, no, it's not like that. It, it's just... Just what? My son. Too angry? Too out of control? No, no, I, I guess so. There is no need to guess. It is clear your anger overtook you. Your better judgment was lost in the maelstrom of your emotions. You would desire for vengeance at all cost. I know this to be true, because I have been lost to that same dark storm many times. Y you have? Raph is surprised. Splinter has a somber look in his eyes as he's going to divulge something to his son. Yes, it may be difficult to believe, but I was once young like you and your brothers, and new to the ways of the ninja, inexperienced and raw, and all too often prone to an intense anger I could not fully comprehend, nor fully control. This flashbacks to ancient Japan, where a young Hamato Yoshi is working with his master, and then there's a picture of him with uh, Tian Shin, and then there's a picture of him training the boys, so his sons. It was only over the course of time, through the patient teachings of the f those far wiser than me, and the unconditional love of those whom I could always depend, and the unwavering trust of the four who depended wholly on me, that I was able to break control of the black rage burning in my soul, to allow calm and common sense to be masters at all times, to use force only after any and all peaceful paths have been first explored to forego the anger and pride that all times threatened to consume me. 
but, but, that ain't always so easy, father. The honorable way rarely is, my son. And sadly for some like you and me, following the path of peace can be the most difficult battle of all. But it is a battle we must fight. I, I see what you're saying. I, I really do. And it's just you're right. But it's, I also know that if I don't do something, Casey's going to keep taking these beatings. And it's going to get him killed. And this jerk, this twisted piece of crap, what does he do to his own kid? Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think he deserves any more chances. On that, my son, we do not disagree. As Splinter holds him closer. What? No! A sigh up to his throat. We flash over now to Burnow Island, where we see a now-exposed Utram brain of Krang speaking directly to Stockman. Well, Stockman, I assume you have questions. Yes, uh, you could assume that, General Krang. Then by all means, ask away. Very well. Who are you, really? What are you, really? Where the hell am I? And what the devil is this thing? Again, still in the room with all the Utrams that are in those tanks. My name, you already know, it's Krang. I am an Utram from the planet Utraminium, and you are at my command headquarters on Burnhow Island. And as for this, other than myself, this is all that remains of the Utram race. An extraterrestrial being? Interesting. An interdimensional being. Do not confuse the two again, Stockman. Utraminium, before it was destroyed, was a part of Dimension X, an alternate dimension to Earth's. Well, this is certainly surprising, and yet it does make some sense. So you are all from another dimension, then how have you come to Burnout Island and to Earth? It will be better to show you rather than to explain it. Follow me. As uh, they walk into a room that looks very similar to the interdimensional portal room from the Ninja Turtles cartoon. This dimensional portal allows us to travel between Dimension X and Earth. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. It's only recently after the destruction of our planet that we've made Earth our home. Utraminium, as you say, it was destroyed? Utraminium was once the most powerful planet in Dimension X the central seat of a thriving empire that stretched all the corners of the universe. The empire ruled for long a select group known as the Utram High Council. My father, Quain, was their supreme commander, and I was his second in command. My father's imperial ambitions were both his greatest asset and his ultimate downfall. We get a little tableau here that shows the Empire at its peak, with different races that seem to be their guards and in their charges. And then the, the High Council of Utram, where they're sitting around a table talking about, looks like, some battle plans. And then some spaceship battles. And then finally, it looks like an utter destruction with all the people who are who died for their, uh, for their war. What the? Excuse me, Stockman, it appears our history lesson will have to wait. Lieutenant Pogue, what's the meaning of this alarm? It's the NRF, General. They're attempting to attack through the portal. Then shut it down. The portal, you imbecile. I'm trying, sir, but it's not responding. My commands, they're jamming it somehow. Oh, no, take cover. Two neutrinos jump through the portal, one with red hair, one with blue hair, both brandishing two pistol lasers. Death to Krang! Protect the General! says the rock soldier. One of the rock soldiers blasts the orange-haired one right in the stomach. No, says the blue one. You die, Krang! As he blasts, his blast is interrupted by a rock soldier that jumps in front of the general. General, watch out! Baxter says, Did you bring me here to get me killed, Krang? 
Relax, Talkman. This is just, uh, what did you call it? Ah, uh, yes. A minor setback. Crime takes his laser and blasts to a crisp the blue-haired neutrino. Both lay steaming on the ground. "'General Craig, are you all right, sir?' says one of the rock soldiers. "'I'm fine, Captain Craig, though I can't say the same for your fellow stone soldier. "'One of these cretinous rebels who dared enter my command center.' "'Now Craig picks up both of them by his shirt and throws them through the portal. "'Lieutenant Pogue, remove your tail from between your legs and activate the portal now.' "'Yes, sir, it all seems to be functional again.' "'Then let me send a message to those neutrino scum about any the fate awaiting any should attempt this foolishness again stockman looks to try and be getting his bearings back again as krang just talks to his rock soldiers captain Tragg, i want pogue and the other button pushers working on a solution to get this portal attacked immediately sergeant graniter you will double the guard contingent on the neutrino side of the portal heads will roll if there is another breach aye sir they say together Stockman, you will follow me. I, uh, uh, certainly, General. What was all that about? That was a pathetic attack by the lowlights of the planet that will soon be under my control in every way imaginable. That said, it does underscore my reason for bringing you here. Yes, I was a bit curious about that. Though your genetic work has been an utter disaster, you do seem to have some mechanical skill. Your Mausers weren't completely worthless. The only thing of this that I'm allowing you another opportunity to prove your value to me, Stockman. And how is that, General? By completing construction of a device that will crush my enemies and return the Utram to the fine ultimate power to finally restore my father's lost honor. Welcome, Stockman, to the Technodrome. We look onto the Technodrome as it's not completely completed. It doesn't look like a complete sphere, but it does somewhat resemble the Technodrome that we've seen. No giant eyeball on the top. There's construction cranes on it, and you can see that it does roll on tank treads. So this will be the Technodrome that we are used to, but right now it's partially completed. Back at second time around, we see that the turtles are comforting Casey, as is April. How's your head doing, Casey? Better, thanks, Leo. The ice and aspirin helped a lot. Thanks, says April. Good. Here's some of Sensei's green tea. He swears it has healing powers. I made some for you too, April. Uh, you won't be thanking him after you taste it. Yuck, says Mikey. Truth is, my pride hurts way worse than my skull. I feel really bad for putting you guys through a spot like this, and, uh, with Raph going haywire and all that stuff. Man, this sucks. April says, Yeah, where else were you, where else were you gonna go, Casey? Yeah, this is bad. I don't know, April. I, I should have stayed home, I guess. This is what I've always done. Always done before, but whatever. My dad, well, you know. Stay with the man that beat you? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We're your friends, Casey. This is where you belong. When you're in trouble and you need help, you're with us. Not with your so-called father. <laughs> he was drunk, April. It happens. An ideal, okay? No, Casey, it's not okay. Not anymore. You have a choice now. I... I... I get your point really i do it's just that i ain't used to having so many people like that that care about me you know i've had to do stuff on my own for so long that just anything else just seems weird look casey if there's anything that we've learned recently it's that working together beats trying to handle everything on our own donatello adds donnie's right we've got to stick together all of us we might want to beat the crap out of each other most days but in the end we all have each other's backs no matter what says leo yeah even when some of us make absolutely zero sense and refuse to listen to logic, we're still a family. Donnie can't waste that opportunity to add a little dig in. 
You get our point, right? Says Leo. Yeah, I, I do. I mean, it's good to know I got friends like you guys, really. But you, you know we're talking about all sometimes. I hear you dudes arguing about your past and stuff, and I wonder if you don't totally get it. Get what? Get how lucky you are now, no matter where you really came from. I mean, most days, I'm wondering if my old man's gonna pound me again, and you guys, your dad would die for every single one of you in a heartbeat. Instead of worrying about fighting over dumb stuff all the time, maybe you guys should spend more time thinking about that. The turtles have this kind of look on their face where... They look ashamed of what they're seeing. They all kind of hang their heads at what Casey has said, letting it sink in. Back at Casey's house. What do you think of me now, Raphael? Says Splinter. If I were to use this blade against this man, would you think me in the right? No, please, he says. I, I don't know. If I were to end his life, do you believe your friend's troubles would also be at an end? I, I, no, no, it wouldn't solve anything. It'd just make it worse for everyone. I am happy that you understand, my son. Just as I am happy to tell you, there is a solution, another path, far more peaceful and sane. Gather your friend's belongings. Casey Jones will stay with us now. Raph has an open-mouthed look on his face of surprise. He goes in, he grabs a picture of Casey and his mom, his clothes, the hockey mask, and he comes out. All done, Master Splinter. As am I. I believe this belongs to you, my son. As he hands him his sigh, yeah, that's great, you freaks. You better hustle out of here. What kind of monsters are you anyway? You ask what kind of monsters we are. Perhaps the better question is, what kind of man are you? Come, my son, it's time to go home. And with that, they leave through the busted front door. Back at the shop. I'm going to get some sugar for my tea. Do you want some, Casey? Yeah, please, April. It's really, uh, strong. Told you says Mikey, as Mikey's reading a comic book. In come Raph and Sensei. Sensei, Raph, you're back. Is everything okay, Father? Yes, Leonardo, all is well. We must speak now as a family, so please go gather everyone around. Uh, me and April, we'll, we'll get out of here. Thanks for the tea, and I said this is to be a family meeting, Casey Jones. For that reason, I would ask you and Miss O'Neill to stay, please. They all sit around in a circle on the floor, as Splinter tells them. I believe destiny has provided us with this shared moment. And as for the fact that we are a family, we have already faced the direst evil together, and survived is a testament to our commitment to each other. My pride in you, all of you, knows no bounds. Yet you are still children, and in many ways naive to the true malevolent nature of our enemy. Donnie, what does malevolent mean? Shh, Mikey. Tonight, Raphael and I faced a difficult trial, a true test of the peaceful tenets that I now follow. In the end, serenity prevailed. A righteous path was chosen, and with that choice came an important change. From this day forward, Casey Jones is welcome to live with us. Oh, wow, Splinter, that's really nice of you and all, but I, I don't know. I don't want to intrude on you guys, and Casey, it's cool. Really. We all want you here, bro. You belong. Uh, yeah, that's... Seriously? That's... Thanks, says Casey. I have always taught you that violence is a last resort, and that only in the defense of your very own lives must you ever contemplate it as a solution. Life above all things is sacred. I have struggled with this philosophy, however, as it relates to Orogo Saki, though he now calls himself the Shredder, I sense in him the same enemy of old, 
an enemy who possesses great power and even greater ruthlessness. An enemy who despises me with every fiber of his being and will not be satisfied until we are all dead. Tonight, we spared a man's life because he posed no mortal threat to us. However, Saki, the Shredder, does do this and to many innocent and undeserving others. I do not want you, my beloved children, to be corrupted as all beings evidently are by violence. It is in this city now that we call home. Perhaps the world will never be safe until the foot are defeated and the shredder is destroyed. Master Splinter, are you saying what I think you're saying? says Leo. I am simply saying that the Shredder, by his own evil actions, leave us with only one unfortunate choice ahead of us. So long as he lives, there can never be any peace or security. This is difficult to accept, I know, but it is a sad reality, and is being forced upon us like all of you. I find it deeply to be troubling, and even against a mortal threat, we must still follow the moral path, and remember... Nothing is more important than family. We see back at the dojo, or the headquarters for the Foot Clan, Shredder now has removed his cape, his shirt, and his gauntlets, and his helmet, and he's sitting there talking to Karai. Amato Yoshi once had a family, Karai, in our past life. A wife and four sons. After Yoshi's treachery, I had them all executed, of course, along with Yoshi. But before all that, I had the opportunity to watch Yoshi with his children, particular his oldest boy. Even then, at such a young age, he displayed all the attributes of a true warrior, of a born leader. We can see that uh, Urokusaki's in a tree, observing the training of the four young boys. And we can see that he sees young Leonardo fighting against Donatello and uh, with his sword, and just an absolutely fer ferocious look on his face. That is very interesting, Grandfather. If I may ask, however, why do you speak of this boy? I speak of him, Karai, because I do not believe the boy has changed. We see here a prophetic picture. I have told you I wish for a worthy second-in-command, and now I have made my decision. Bring to me the true heir, Karai, Bring to me the one Yoshi now calls Leonardo. The picture above is Leonardo jumping in and fighting the ninjas and running with the turtle headfirst towards the shredder when they would inevitably fight him. He wants Leo to be his second command of the foot. And with that, that ends issue 14 of the IDW Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles series. Hey there, turtle fans. Check out BigCountryComics.com for the exclusives and variants that you're looking for. Featuring the art of Mike Ruth and Hugh Rookwood. You can find graded books, Funko Pops and figures, statues, even Big Country Comics exclusives, books from Aftershock, Boom, Image, DC Comics, IDW, everything from Swamp Thing to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle covers. You can get them raw, remarked, signed, even slabbed, available at BigCountryComics.com. Don't forget, buy one, get one 50% off on graded books. And dudes, be sure to use our code EPICSHELL for an extra 15% off of your order. Check out BigCountryComics.com. The next issue that we're going to cover is the 2012 annual for the IDW Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles series. 
This is an independent story that does go into some characterization for some of the characters, like the Savate Ninjas, the Purple Dragons. We do hear Angel, Angel's father, Brooklyn S. Bridge. So we do get a little bit of Turtles in here. It's basically an independent story, as most annuals comics are. So we're not going to go through it just because it's 63 pages. And it is kind of a fun ride, but with all of the changes, it's really kind of difficult to do like a whole different characterization of it. So my suggestion would be to go through and read it. It is available um, if you can find it just in, in print form or you can find it on Comixology. That's where I found it. It is a story by Kevin Eastman, script by Kevin Eastman and Tom Waltz, art by Kevin Eastman, letters by Robbie Robbins with Sean Lee, and editor Bobby Kernow. So it starts out with a dedication of Peter Laird. A true brother from another mother, without whom there would be no Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Thanks for everything, Kevin Eastman. And we get a uh, story thus far. As the Foot Clan rises to power in New York City's criminal underworld, others such as the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the Purple Dragons, and the Savate have struggled to survive in this new balance of power. Desperate times call for desperate actions. So as I mentioned before, it's all Kevin Eastman art. All of the layouts, everything on that, it's really kind of a cool throwback. It is mainly a story about Raph and... Casey being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And then it's kind of a heist movie where everything kind of happens around them involving sort of an idea of a case. And basically how it starts is they're uh, fooling around on the roof and Raph loses at some sort of training game that they're doing. And as a sore loser that he is, he tackles Casey and Casey loses one of his bats. What happens then is they hear a car crash and they believe it's because Casey lost his bat. And with that, they go down to take a look and see what happens. They see a limousine that uh, has two people in it and there's a big gaping hole in the windshield. They notice that there's uh, gasoline coming out of the car and like, Oh no, this thing's going to explode. So what they do is they go and help the two people out of the car before anything else happens on there. Then try to get out before the police come. Well, the problem is the big hole in the windshield was from a case that shot out into the alley and was picked up by one of the uh, residents of, of this area. He was a homeless man named Kid Kennedy. And he looks at the case and he opens it up and it's kind of like that Pulp Fiction moment where you just see the glowing of it and he's like, oh wow, my problems are solved. He then uh, handily fights off two thugs that kind of come and try to steal that from him. And what happens from this point on, it becomes just who's going to get the case, who's looking for the case. The cops are involved. You've got dirty cops, criminals. You get some more from the Savate ninjas, and you see their leader and how he's trying to get the, them back. Then you see how there's the second-in-command of the Savate ninjas, and they are trying to screw over the leader of the Savate ninjas. And then the Foot Clan gets involved. And then the Ninja Turtles see Raph on TV at the crash site, and they get involved to try to get him. So it's it's really kind of crazy. We do see some characters in here, as I, as I was talking about before. There's Angel, Angel's father, Kid Kennedy, who is um, kind of a bum that lives on the street. And then there's Ferguson, Fighting Ferguson, who's another Scotsman who knows Kid Kennedy, and they're kind of involved in this. There's Miller and Corbin, who are two police officers. There's your Savate Ninjas. And their leader, then Karai, gets involved. So it's it's really kind of a crazy romp just through uh, all of this. And it's, it's funny on how it overlaps with the turtles, but this could very easily not even be a turtle story. It's just, um, it's really, it's really interesting. The art's really gorgeous when it comes to some of this stuff. You know, and it's, uh, it's a nice throwback to the old Mirage days, so it's pretty cool. I, I recommend it. If you, you find it, I don't believe that it's in the uh, Turtles um, Collected Edition. I know you can find it on Comixology where I found it, or you can get the issue by itself, the 2012 annual. It's 63 pages long. It's a, it's a fun read. It does kind of remind me of Body Count, just not as violent. 
So just kind of how um, Raph and Casey get caught up in the wrong place at the wrong time. So it's pretty fun. But as for our normal reading, the next one is the April miniseries. So with that, this really doesn't have anything to do with continuity, other than it does give a little bit of development for the, the tensions between the Savate ninjas and between the Foot Clan. Other than that, I mean, it gives us a little bit of some of these other colorful characters, like Angel, Angel's dad, Brooklyn, and, and all that. But really, it doesn't it doesn't help with the progression of the series so it's not something that we're going to cover just because it is long and drawn out and you know it's fun and, and i'd like you to you know just uh, experience it yourself so with that i'm going to say uh enjoy enjoy your, your next uh comic which is going to be the micro series for april o'neill it's pizza time and now, in a segment that we call Pizza Time, where we discuss any Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle or pizza-related food, I give you Pizza Time. Today's Pizza Time is called Gimme S'mores. Few humans agree with the turtle's love of marshmallow and guacamole pizza, but just about anyone can get behind this marshmallow and chocolate pizza with graham cracker crust. Ingredients. For your crust, 12 full graham cracker sheets broken into pieces. 6 tablespoons of unsalted butter, melted. 1 third pe cup packed brown sugar. 1 fourth teaspoon of salt. For the topping, 1 7 ounce container of marshmallow cream. We call it fluff. 1 cup of milk chocolate chips. 1 full graham cracker sheet. And 1 and 1 half cup of mini marshmallows. So lighten it up, dudes. You can use 100% grain, uh, whole grain graham crackers, and dark or semi-sweet chocolate chips to cut the amount of, and cut the amount of mini marshmallows in half if you like. Here's the instructions to make the crust: set the set the rack on the top third of the oven, preheat to 350 degrees. Place the graham crackers in a bowl of a food processor and grind them until they look like sand. Add the butter, brown sugar, and salt, and pulse until it's combined. Dump the mixture into a one half inch pizza pan and press it out till eventually it's all the way on the edges. Use the bottom of a flat measuring cup to make sure it's packed down as possible. Bake for seven to 10 minutes or until the crust just begins to brown at the edges. Remove the crust from the oven and let it cool for five minutes. For the assembly, spread the marshmallow cream on the cool crust, then sprinkle the chocolate chips on top. Bake for 10 minutes until the chocolate is melted. Meanwhile, place the graham cracker in a resealable bag and pound it with a rolling pin until it resembles sand. When the pizza is done baking, immediately remove it from the oven and turn on the broiler. Scatter the mini marshmallows and the graham cracker crumbs all over the pizza to broil for one to two minutes or until the marshmallows are toasted. Remove the marshmallow from the oven. Let it cool for five minutes and then slice and serve. All right, thanks everyone. And that is our pizza time for the day. Dudes. Thank you for listening to the Epic Tales from the Sewers podcast. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were created by Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. This podcast has no affiliation with Eastman, Laird, Mirage Studios, IDW Studios, Archie Comics, or Nickelodeon Studios. This podcast is a member of the Dorkening Podcast Network. Check out thedorkening.com for other podcasts. Epic Tales from the Sewers is recorded by Justin Cooper and Eric Will. Hi, this is Adam, a.k.a. Casey Jones from Casey Jones Livewire, and you're listening to Epic Tales from the Sewers. Time for a knuckle sandwich, punk. Hey there, this is JB. 
And if you enjoy Tales from the Crypt, then check out my show, Tales from the Podcast, where myself, and usually a very special guest, sit down to discuss the TV show, the films, the animated series, as well as the original comics. So check me out every other week on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and of course, at TalesFromThePodcast.com. Thanks for listening, kitties. You're all a scream. <laughs> Greetings and Shabibans. We are the Retro Reductibus Cephala Podcast, a long-form bi-weekly show that celebrates all the things that made growing up awesome. Well, that sounds good, but I don't know what all those words mean. I think what Parasite seems trying to say is that on Retro Reductibus, we explore a range of retro goodness from toys video games and movies, to cartoons and even snacks and school lunches. And we do it all with a positive spin, a slew of killer guests, and some, ahem, very adult language. And you know what else is cool? No. This crazy show is part of the Yorking Podcast Network with new episodes every technical Tuesday. What's that? And if waiting two weeks for a new episode gives you a sad, know that we drop bonus episodes all the time. Like the off-format Crow's Nest and an interview series we call The Brick. You can listen to Retro Octopus on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or any app that's cool enough to carry the only show that celebrates all the things that make growing up awesome.